Let's pray and we'll get into the Gospel of John. Father, here we are again, just at your feet, week after week, and hopefully between Sundays, Lord, we come to meet with you. We're so thankful that, uh, that your word teaches us that worshiping you is not about a special day, that we don't have to exalt one day or esteem one day above another, but we can come to you every day in a small group, by myself, uh, or, or in a large group like this, Lord. The, but we desire to know you. We, we are amazed that you've made yourself known. And uh, we, we want to know you. want to know you from Genesis to Revelation. And want to be changed by you in that knowledge. So Lord, here we are, uh, just asking you that you would reveal yourself uh, just in a new way to us today. Or a, little, a new piece of, of your character that we haven't understood or, or haven't gotten yet. It's something that we need to feed our spirit today, Lord. So it's in Jesus' name we pray you open up your word. All God's people said, amen. John chapter 21 is the last chapter in the gospel of John. And some would say that John 21 is very much like an appendix. I mean, not talking the physical appendix that you may have had removed, but if you've read a book and fewer and fewer, (laughs) now everything's on Kindle and whatnot. But at the back of a book, information that's added later is called an appendix, and it can be added for a a variety of reasons. Well, John 21 really seems like an addition, a late addition to the Gospel of John, and it seems that John is dealing with a couple of things as he writes this and and includes this in his Gospel. Because if you remember last week, we finished chapter 20 down to verse 30, and John says, you know, there's so many more things that could be written, but they're not in this book. Um, But the things that John chose to write, he chose to write to encourage your belief uh, that that you could believe, that you would believe, and that you would have life in his name. Uh, And again, it's clear that we are born spiritually dead. So there are a lot of spiritual zombies, alive people, but dead spiritually, walking around. And it's not until Christ comes into your life. I mean, this is really the root of everything. It's not until Christ comes into your life that you are made alive. You can go through the religious routines and you can show up at church and you can do all the externals, but spiritual life is something that happens on the inside. And then the, what happens on the inside automatically changes what's on the outside. You can only change what's on the outside. You can't change what's on the inside. Only God can do that. So he it seems to wrap it up pretty nicely there at the end of chapter 20, doesn't he? But then chapter 21 begins and he says, after these things, so he sort of starts again. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, that's doubting Thomas, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. So he starts again into this last section, and it seems that there are two things he's addressing. Number one is there's still a lot of questions in the early church I mean, John's gospel was, was the latest written. And so there's still a lot of questions about Peter. And what happened, you know, is Peter, has he been, can he be trusted? Is he still on, on par with being an apostle? Because remember, Peter had denied the Lord. And so there's some questions maybe that were arising about his leadership in the church and his ministry within the church. And so John writes to address that. John also writes to address another rumor. And that rumor uh, is that John would, would remain alive until Jesus came back. 
Now, that was a misunderstanding of something that Jesus had said. Now, we don't ever see misunderstandings of Jesus' words today. So (laughs) nice that John could address that for us, isn't it? So just keep in mind that there's, this, is very, this last chapter is very focused on, on specifically Peter himself. And I love this. And I, and I love, I'm so thankful for Peter's life. Because Peter is so unique. I mean, in some ways he gets a bad reputation. We, we call him the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. We understand that. That he, sometimes he engages his mouth before his brain has begun uh, to be engaged. He's impulsive in some ways. But think about what he's done. Of all the apostles, who walked on water? Only one. Only one got out of the boat. Even though, oh, but, but he sank. Yes, he did, but he walked on water too. And, and, and he was willing. He drew the sword. You know, I'll, I'll follow you anywhere. I'll follow you to death. Even if everybody else forsakes you, I'll be with you, Lord. And he pulls out the sword and cuts off Malchus's ear, the high priest's servant. And then he betrays the Lord. He, he denies the Lord three times. And that's sort of a low point for him. And all of that that he's been through, and, and of, of how many of the, depo- of the apostles does Jesus address in the way he does in John 21? You know, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And I think there's something special. You know, it's one thing, we're, we're generally afraid to fail. And if we do fail, we don't want anybody to know we failed. And I think Peter gives us some courage in ministry, I'd rather work with someone who's failed and tried and failed and learned and failed than someone who has never failed at all. Because there are so many, many would say that the only lessons, the only valuable lessons that are learned are learned in failure. And the fact, what we learn here about God is that he is not done with you when you fail. I mean, you think about the prodigal son. And the joy, I mean, you know it. If you have two kids and you have one of them that's always home with you as a good kid, just a good, you know, just willing to please, willing to do whatever, that's wonderful. But that kid that just has that rebellious spirit, that kid who goes off and, and, and experiences the world and, you know, is just the hard one, that one that you just want to strangle sometimes. And then when that kid gets it and comes home and, and is like, oh, I see now what you're, you were right all along. Oh, what parent doesn't dream of hearing those words? Mom, Dad, you were right. Oh, thank you, Lord. (laughs) But there's something special when that kid has been in the pits and finally comes home. There's like a special thing about that, isn't there? That's more special in some ways than the one who was always there. And Peter has that. In ministry, Peter's going to be so valuable. I mean, the Lord has chosen this for him. And part of that value, I think, of his life is the humility he's gained through failure and the power of re- being restored. There's just something more powerful when you've fallen and been restored. But we are so slow to do that. Now, I, 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 I'm, not, I'm advocating caution too, right? It, there's definitely a place to be cautious. Only the Lord knows what's truly going on in the heart. And the Lord knows Peter. And so publicly, Peter denied the Lord. And publicly, he will be restored. So, enough introduction the disciples are together. They're still hanging out. They've been told to go to Galilee and wait. Jesus would meet them there. He'd already told them about a mountain he would meet them on. Now, now they're, they're fishermen. Many of them are fishermen. Peter is a fisherman. James, John, they're fishermen. Andrew, fishermen. So they're waiting for the Lord. And I don't know. We, we, we're not given a whole lot of details, but 
I, I, can feel, I feel for Peter, I get tired of waiting sometimes. And that's, maybe that's a bad thing. I like to be active. So there they are waiting for the Lord. This will be the third time he shows up to them. He shows up once on, a, on a, the first day of the week. Then he shows up a week later. So a whole week, you know, nothing. Then a week later, he shows up again. And now they're waiting again. And Peter's like, man, I'm going. I can't sit around here and wait anymore. I'm going fishing. And that's what he does. And he's a leader. He's a natural leader. So they all said, all right, we're going to come with you. Now, there's been a lot of uh, speculation and, and, you know, talk and discussion. Was Peter right? Was he, was he giving up on the Lord by going fishing again? Was he turning back to his old ways? I don't know. I, I, I don't know the answer to those questions. What I know is I understand how Peter felt because I'm an ADHD guy from the beginning, man. I can't sit still for five minutes if it's light outside. I've got to be doing something. And so maybe that's a bad thing. I don't know, but that's just the way I'm wired. So I can feel for Peter. If I'm going to wait, I'm at least going to be busy while I'm waiting. And so they go fishing again. Uh, some would say Peter should have stayed and just prayed and waited for the Lord. I suppose maybe that's true as well. But again, the Bible doesn't tell us anything specific about that. Jesus never rebukes them. He doesn't come back and appear to them and say, how dare you go fishing again? But and quite the opposite. It's when they go fishing that the Lord shows up to them. So what, what, for me, I say, you know what? While you're waiting for the Lord to do something, do something productive. Don't just, a lot of people just sit around thinking, well, I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to do anything wrong, so I'm just going to sit here and wait. I think biblical waiting is a busy waiting, not over busy, right? Don't get me wrong. We are over busy. Many, many of us are over busy, but busy about the things of the world in a lot of ways. And the world gets busy, and so we kind of go, wow, we're so busy. What should we give up? I don't know. Church, let's give that up, or let's give this, this function up, or that, you know. And sometimes the first things that should stay in our schedule are the things we give up most easily. But I'm not talking about over busyness or filling our schedules. What I'm talking about is busy about doing the things you know to be doing while you're waiting for whatever it is the Lord is going to, you're asking him to do in your life. Maybe you're asking for a new job or maybe you're asking for a certain relationship and you don't just sit home and and expect that the Lord is going to drop that, the the, the roof is going to open miraculously and it's going to drop, you know, into your lap there in the living room. Go do something productive. Go be a light in the community. Go do something you know to do. And you watch. That's when Jesus will show up to you. When, even in your failures. Look what, look what happens here. They said to him, we're going to go with you also. So they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught zip. Zilch. Now that's not an unfamiliar experience. Luke records an experience that they had like that. They'd been fishing all night, right? Maybe you remember the story. They'd been fishing all night, and the boats were there, and Jesus tells Peter to, you know, let's cast out of the deep and let, let down your net for a catch. And that's how they fished. They fished with big old nets. And, and Peter says, well, <laughs> Jesus, go. I mean, we're fishermen. We know how to fish. We've been fishing all night. We haven't caught anything. So, uh, you know, so I'm not sure what you expect to happen, but we'll do it because you said to do it. So they cast out their boat. They they, they put the net in the water, and guess what happens? They catch a huge load of fish. And Peter is just humbled by this. Peter says, you know, oh, depart from me. You know, I'm, I'm a wicked man. He recognized his own unbelief and lack of trust in God, or in Jesus. And, uh, and that, it's right after that that Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. 
that, that, that commit the original commission. So it's another night like that. They're fishing all night. They catch nothing. You know, if I was there waiting, fishing is not the thing I would choose to do. I'm sure we have a lot of fishermen in, in here. Um, to me, again, fishing is like, I got to be busy, active, doing something. Uh, so, but that's what they did. That's what they were used to. So they went fishing all night, frustrating, catching nothing. How many of you have gone fishing and caught nothing? Yeah, I, now, last time, now, I must admit, I did have one fishing experience that, uh, that did change my mind about fishing. We were in Florida, and we got to do a little offshore fishing. That was really, really fun. And especially when the guy told us, all right, we're going to go catch a fish called a Goliath grouper. And I think any fish with the name Goliath sounds good to me. I mean, that sounds like food for a week, you know, Goliath grouper. So he starts to give me this harness thing. I'm like, what do I need this for, you know? Like, the fish weighs 200 pounds. Get on the scale. I'm like, I'm 170, you know. Give me the, give, give me the suit, you know. Give me the, got to tie me into the seat here. I'm picturing myself going over with the fish, you know. I'm doing the Jonah thing. But we didn't catch one because the dolphin kept stealing our fish. But I thought that was pretty cool. So I could do that again. But they, so they were all night frustrating, catching nothing. But when the morning had now come... Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? Now, he's about 100 yards away. The, the boat is about 100 yards, 300 feet off of shore. And Jesus hollers them from the shore, hey, you guys catching anything? Oh, you know, there's a boat full of angry fishermen. They've been up all night. They're tired. They haven't caught a thing. Can you imagine asking a group, and Peter's a big guy, we'll see that, you know, church history tells us Peter was, was a big, you know, man, uh, I'm, you know, Jesus, hey, you guys caught anything? He knew the answer was that they hadn't, but that's just like rubbing salt in the wound, isn't it? Hey, catching anything? <laughs> and I can't, I wish we could hear the Bible, I mean, I wish we could, could hear how this was said, because they answered him no. I mean, that's like too simple, right? You know, it just wasn't that simple. You know, how many groans? No. But thanks for asking, you know. Oh, Jesus is so, he knows exactly. And he, Jesus made sure they caught nothing that night. You know that, right? I mean, Jesus made sure all the, Jesus has a consultation with the fish. All right, now, none of you guys stay away from the net, right? I'll tell you, on my mark, that's when you go. That we'll find out they're all on the other side of the boat going, you know. No, shh, 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 they'll hear us, go quiet. They're all waiting just four feet away, you know. Jesus is on the shore. Now, they don't recognize him, and we see this as a, we don't, there's a lot we don't understand about what a resurrected body looks like and why they fail to really, you know, really be able to recognize him. It's like they, they, they know it's him, but there's something different or something unrecognizable about this resurrection body. He's got the scars in his hands, and they know it's him, but it's hard to, to, uh, to discern that. So he, they said, no, we haven't caught anything. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And, I mean, the, the boat, I mean, we're, we were on a cruise this past summer. We were on, on the Oasis of the Seas, which fits like 10,000 people. I mean, from one side of the boat to the other is a long distance. But if, when we go to Israel, we see the Jesus boat. And it's only, you know, five feet, six feet wide. So on the other side of the boat, it's not like, you know, this long distance. 
So they're fishing on one side, and Jesus says, well, why don't you guys pick up your net and put it on the other side of the boat? It's like, oh, yeah, okay, whatever. Like, that's going to work, right? So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. And so Jesus orchestrates the same kind of miracle that happened back uh, during the early part of their ministry when he was calling them to be fishers of men. And maybe this is serving as a reminder for them of what I've called you to do. And sometimes we need a reminder. We need, re- you know, repetition is the mother of learning, right? I mean, we need, we need repetition in our lives because we're good forgetters, aren't we? I mean, we get called to do something and then it doesn't maybe go the way we, we expected or it doesn't happen fast enough. And so we figure maybe God's not calling us. The Bible says the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. If God calls you to do a ministry, if God calls you into something, the elders in this church, we don't rotate on and off. We're elders. That's what God has called us to do. He's called us to shepherd the flock. That's not something, well, this year he's called me to shepherd the flock. Next year he's not. That's part of our, the fabric of our being. And the same thing with your calling, whatever that calling is, whatever place that God has given you a burden, that's what he's called us to do. Now, now can God change that calling? I'm sure uh, that, that you know, we see that work out in different ways, but it's not like he's going to, Take it back from you. I changed my mind. And I think he's reminding Peter that I called you to fish for men. And that's the ultimate. I mean, to, be, to take that knowledge of a fisherman. You know, because when you go to the downtown mall and you're fishing for men, you've got to know what kind of bait to use. You've got to see who it is I'm talking What kind of fish am I trying to catch here? Is this an 18-year-old skateboarder, you know, with tattoos and piercings everywhere? Or is this a, a 35-year-old professor? I might use different bait for those two. I might have a different conversation with those two. And, so, and there's patience involved with fishing, isn't there? And there's a lot of patience and a lot of failure involved with fishing. But there's something in you that just loves to fish because you love when you do make that catch. When you get that fish, you know, and it was this big and you get the picture of it. And that's when you fish for men. It's like you, make a, you, you fail a lot. And, and you miss a lot, get away, you know. You had them and then they got away. But it's the Lord's business. And our job is to keep fishing. And to keep fishing and to keep fishing. And if you get a chance to lead someone to the Lord, it's an exhilarating experience. You've just changed the future history of their families when that person gets saved. Where they've come from, you don't know what they grew up in, what, what kind of home life they had, what kind of lack of examples or lack of of uh, understanding in terms of being a father or being a mother or, or being a wife or a husband. And we get terrible examples of that in so many ways. And then the person gets saved, they begin to learn love. They never felt love, never felt unconditional love before. Never understood forgiveness before. Never understood grace before. And now not only do I start to learn those things from God, but I get to live those things in, in the life of my marriage or my family. And that changes everything. But God is changing me. And that is so worth fishing. It really is. It's so worth fishing. So they cast the, the net on the right side of the boat. And, and, they, and they can't even, it's, there's so many fish in it that they're not even able to draw it in. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John in disguise, uh, said to Peter, it is the Lord. So John knew right away, man. That there's only one person that would talk to us that way. Only one person that's able to tell us that. And sometimes we're so close, you know. Sometimes I think God lets us fail. Because he's got to teach us to listen to him. 
You know, he calls us into a ministry, calls us to, to go fish for men, or calls us to do this thing or that thing. I'm like, okay, I got that, you know. I know how to do that. I can do that, Lord. Sometimes the, the place where you are most successful in ministry is the place where you are most weak. You know, if you're a, if you're a, a, a school teacher and you come to Calvary Chapel Louvana, our temptation is to say, well, obviously, we know where the place you're going to be is. You're going to be in children's ministry because that's what you're good at. That's what you know. Well, maybe not. Maybe you need to be the bookkeeper, or maybe you need to be in a, a different position because you're confident in your skills as a teacher. Maybe you need to be in a place where you're not confident because it's in a place where you're not confident that you'll actually listen to what God has to say. And I'm so thankful that, that God called me into ministry because I didn't know a thing about it. I didn't have this, you know, the degrees. I don't have the training. And so it, what it's made me is very dependent on the Lord. Because there's a lot of man's wisdom out there, but I don't want man's wisdom. I want to be able to say, okay, God, you're telling us to go here. You know, cast our net in Columbia. Okay. Cast our net here in this neighborhood. Okay. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't know why, but Lord, all the, all the people with money are over there. You know, can't we go cast our, our net where the people with money are, Lord? Can't we do that? No. I want you to cast your net over here. Okay, Lord. And so you have to be you have to be in a place of uncertainty, a place of personal weakness. Otherwise, you're tempted to just tell the Lord what to do. You got it all covered. And this is one of the big problems with the church, isn't it? We've got programs. We, we know how to plant churches. We've got it all down. We don't need you, Lord. We don't say that. But that's what happens, isn't it? We know how to grow churches. Believe me, you guys know it's out there, right? You know it's out there. You have this, you have a moon bounce on your opening day, and you do this and do that thing. We got it all, you know, and people come, and you do this, you do that, and we got it all scheduled out. And I'm not saying those are bad things. What I'm saying is the danger is that we become experts in doing what we're supposed to be dependent for God on. And I hope as a church, I hope whatever ministry you're involved with, whatever, whatever area you're serving in, that you don't get so good at it that you don't need God anymore. Having begun in the spirit, do we now seek to be perfected in the flesh? No, God, you got us started, God, but no thanks. We got it now. We'll take it from here. Appreciate the start, you know. And so there's that learning that takes place. No, you cast on the other side. Okay, and so they obey him. And what happened? Just that little difference made a huge difference in their catch. Verse 7, therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had removed it. So he had taken off his outer garment. They were fishing, sweating and all that. So um, he puts on his outer garment. Maybe he didn't trust the disciples in the boat to watch it for him or bring it back. I don't know. Maybe John would steal it or something. But he puts it on and he plunges into the sea. This is true Peter, right? I'm just plunging in. I'm going for it. Now, and he'd appeared to Peter already. So they, Peter and he had had some discussions already previous to this. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits. So again, what, the, the numbers I've read com, about this, 200 cubits be equal to about a football field. So Peter's swimming in a football field length with his, you know, his outer garment dragging along for, for drag there. But the other disciples, they come and they're dragging the net with the fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have caught. So there's Jesus. He's already caught some fish. You know, he just probably walked down to the, 
to the beach and fish just jumped on there and he just grabbed them and put them up on the fire, you know. I don't know, but he's already got fish and bread cooking. He's cooked breakfast already. And so Simon Peter went up, verse 11, and dragged the net to land. So it took all of them to bring it in. Now Peter himself drags it by himself full of large fish, 153. And although there were many, so many fish, so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. And so all kinds of things come rushing back to our memory. We remember Jesus feeding the 5,000 with bread and fish. And as he, as he broke the bread and, and he handed it to them, it just kept multiplying and the fish as well. And so here we have bread and fish again, common staples in their diet. But no doubt they're thinking these things through and all of them are going like, we want to ask him, but we, we don't want to ask him. You know, we, we know it's him, but we're looking for some kind of confirmation. Don't you know that feeling? Like, Lord, I, I think it's you, but I'm not sure. And I want to ask, is this you, Lord? We asked that. How many times do you pray and ask that question? Lord, is this you? I mean, is this from you? So we appreciate what the humanness that's in here. And, and he's, he invites them. Come and eat. He's serving them. Who has a God that does that? He's prepared a meal just like the communion we're going to share today. It's his meal. He's prepared it and he's invited you to come and join him in a meal. I mean, that is phenomenal because we're all so busy thinking we're doing all this for God. God, look at all that we're doing for you. Look at all that we do for you. And he says, I want you to take a minute and think about what I've done for you. And not just, not, not just the cross. The cross is, is, is huge. But it's just these da- the Lord serving you in your daily life. If, if we as hu- a human fathers, earthly fathers, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more God, the perfect heavenly father, knows how and loves to give good gifts to his children. Right? God wants to, desires to bless us. That, to me, that blows my mind. That, but I've seen it in my life. Have you seen it in, in your life? How good it is to be a child of God. If you're here and you don't know God, I mean, you've, you've had a father and he's been a, lad, a bad example to you. He's been hurtful to you or abusive of you. Um, I want to tell you, you can learn about God the Father who is the perfect Father. And you, I would say you of all need to know about God the Father. Not the Godfather. There's a difference. This is God our Father. And He is a loving Father. He's an accepting Father. He's a gracious Father. He's a, his love is unconditional. I mean, all those things. You really need to know that. And you need to not just know it here, but experience the love of God for your life. And as long as you keep Him at arm's distance, as long as you keep Him away, as long as you consider, continue to think that you've got it taken care of, that you'll handle your mess, that you'll do it yourself, then you continue to keep God at arm's length. And I want to tell you today, during communion, you can invite him into your life. And you can experience what so many of us have experienced, a God who is near to us. The Bible t- says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's good. And you begin to experience the things that he does for us through prayer, just because he loves us. And so we understand when, when we read of him there on the beach, he says, come and eat breakfast, an invitation. I've, I've prepared it for you. Now this is, uh, verse 14 says, this is the third time 
Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, it's one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And so this is a, you know, I don't know, are the other disciples standing right there? I'm, I'm guessing that they are. This is during the meal, and, and I'm sure they're listening as Jesus turns all of his attention right there to, to Peter. And he asks him this question, and Peter knows what's coming. I mean, Peter knows, because there's going to be three, there were three denials, there's going to be three questions. He's been warming himself, by, he, when he denied the Lord, he was warming himself by a fire of coals. And here he shows up on the beach, and what's Jesus cooking the fish on? A fire of coals. It's the only two places where that, that phrase is used in the New Testament. The same phrase, the fire of coals, is there. So, uh, very much a parallel. And he says, Simon Peter, uh, do you love me more than these? And again, a matter of huge debate. What are More than these, what are these? Well, do you love me more than these fish? Do you love me more than these fishermen, these boats, these things? I mean... Or, and, and this is what most people say, and I think it fits the best, do you love me more than these disciples love me? Because that's what Peter claimed, right? Didn't Peter claim, oh, if all deny you, Lord, I'll still be with you. I love you more than those guys. Didn't that, that that's, would fit, wouldn't it? And so Jesus says, Peter, is that true? And Jesus knew it was true. He knows Peter's heart. There's no surprise. But he's, getting, he's engaging Peter in a conversation. And the Lord wants to do that. That's what a relationship with God is about. He wants to have a conversation with you. And your, a conversation right to your heart. Because Peter's denial, Peter's failure, doesn't mean that he didn't love the Lord. I mean, people that love the Lord fail all the time. Again, I think ministry-wise, the people that have failed have tried and failed. I appreciate their attempt so much. And I appreciate that the greatest failure is the failure to allow God to recover you from your failure. That's the greatest failure. And some people just do so terrible with failure. Is that you? Do you do awful with failure? Like you fail and it's like, oh, forget it. I'm done. I'm not trying anymore. I'm done. It's over. Forget it. That's pride talking, man. That's your pride. People are hard to recover from failure. Look, you failed. Wonderful. Get up, learn, and let's get back at it. Let's go again. And this is what Jesus is affirming in Peter's life. Do you love me more than these? Well, then say you're sorry. That's not what he said. And, And he uses the word love. There's a lot made of this too. I'll just tell you that all we read is the word love these three times, or actually three times Jesus says it, three times Peter responds. And, and the words for love go back and forth between one word, agape, which is a Greek word that means this unconditional love of God, uh, and, and the other word, phileo, which is brotherly love. So some make a big deal out of that. Uh, I don't know. You can think that through yourself. Jesus says, do you agape me more than these? And he said to him, Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I phileo you, which is where we get phileo fish. No, I'm just kidding. I couldn't resist that one. A little McDonald's humor. Um, phileo is where we get Philadelphia. That's the city of brotherly love. So phileo is the word that means a, 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 a um, kindness, a, a love of, a, a deep love between friends, uh, the kind of love that David and Jonathan shared in the Old Testament was this deep, personal, 
We've shared experiences together, this phileo love. I love you like a brother. Like there's nothing that could separate that love. And uh, so Peter responds with that. Uh, again, I don't, I don't think that it's a big issue, but um, that's what he says. You know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And that third time, Jesus actually said, um, do you phileo me? And Peter said, you know, I, you know every, Lord, you know everything. You, you, know what's, you know the thought in my mind. You know the word on my mouth before it even leaves my tongue. And if that's true, what, what, what do you do? What does Jesus want? What does Jesus want? You, do you love me? He says, then take care of the people that I love. And I think that's the same thing he would ask for. Now, Peter, this is a special thing, and, and I feel close to this uh, because of what God called me to do. You know, when God started Calvary Chapel Fluvanna, it was seeing people that were just scattered. They'd, been, they'd felt burned in this church. They'd felt burned in that church. They, they had just fallen away from God. And I was watching, you know, and the verse that the Lord gave me was when, when Jesus saw the, the people, that they were like sheep not having a shepherd. He, he had compassion on them. He sat down, he taught them. And that's why I teach from a stool. Not completely why, but Jesus sat down and he taught them. That's what people needed. They were like sheep without a shepherd. When God wants his people led, he chooses shepherds. Think about David. What was David? Shepherd. What's he called? The, the, the elders of the church, their responsibility is to shepherd the flock. God doesn't call people, he doesn't say CEO my flock. He doesn't say entertain my flock. He doesn't call us to be entertainers or CEOs or businessmen. There is a business part of the church, but it's an unfortunate part that we have to deal with. But God's called the, the men that serve him in, in leadership to be shepherds. There's a, there's a care, there's a gentleness, there's a love, there's a there's a give and take. You know, the, the shepherd cares for the sheep and the sheep in return care for the shepherd. And this is the way it's supposed to be. And the church, I think, in a lot of ways has forgotten that. So just know that about me and the guys that serve as elders of this church. This is what we're called to do. And that word tend in verse 16, that's literally the word that means shepherd. Shepherd my sheep. So he talks about feeding. The primary goal of the shepherd, if he doesn't feed his flock, what happens to the flock? He's going to have a bunch of dead sheep. If he doesn't feed them, all the rest is like, you know, he can juggle and entertain the sheep, but if they're not eaten, they're going to die. A- a- amen to that? I mean, can, is someone awake that can say, yes, that's true? But what do you know, but what do we see experientially out in the world? You know, we see churches getting sucked into the mi- minds of the world and, and to, to vying for your business or vying for your place in a, in a seat. We now have, have, have lowered the bar it, unfortunate, I think many have lowered the bar to just, you know, try to entertain people to get them in. And, have, and ex- everything is about the experience. Come and experience church. Come and experience this church. Come and experience that church. And we use all those catchwords. And I just want to invite you to come and be fed. And I pray, and I know there's a lot of other pastors in, the, in this county that feel the same way. Just come and be fed. And after that, all that's icing on the cake. 
the, the lambs, the young believers, and I think even the little children. You want to see where the heart of a church is? See the, the money it puts into children's ministry. See the money it puts into missions, getting, you know, seeing lambs being born. Lambing season's exciting. And so the little lambs, feeding the little lambs, tending the sheep and feeding the sheep. This is what Peter was called to do. Three times, three times he's restored. God says, you're still in the game, Peter. I still got work for you to do. He's recovered from his failure. He was grieved. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. Interesting wording, by what death he would glorify God. That's what Paul said, you know, whether by life or by death, you know, whether I live or die, that I would glorify the Lord. So Peter, uh, church history tells us, was crucified upside down. They brought him to crucifixion. He's in prison. They brought him to crucifixion. And he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified uh, like Jesus was, like my Savior. So uh, I'll be crucified upside down. And that's how they crucified him according to church history. And that's what that's a reference to. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Just a good reminder. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Oh, he's so like us, isn't he? So there, evidently, Jesus and Peter are walking along the beach and John is following along. Like, you know, they had a competitive thing going on. John makes sure to mention that he was first to the tomb, right? You know, and I, and I beat Peter to the tomb. And they had this competitive thing going on, which is so cool that John writes this about Peter. And so there, Peter and Jesus are walking along and, and John seems to be following along. He sees him. He turns around and he sees John walking along with them. And Peter says to Jesus, what about this guy? What about him? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Hey, listen, that's a great piece of advice. Because we are so concerned with what everybody else is doing. And what God is doing with this guy or that girl, we are so desperate to compare ourselves and measure ourselves by ourselves. And we forget and we lose sight. Keep, you know, for me as a pastor, and I've just shared this personally, you know, there's all kinds of stuff going on around the, the, the county, around the area, church-wise. You know, what's that church doing? And we get, you know, we get that funky mentality of looking at what other churches are doing. Oh, what are they doing? Is it bringing people in? Well, we should try that. Oh. We want to grow, too. We want to do this. We want to do that. And it's like Steve, you know, the Lord slams me. You know, bam, he's very gentle about when he slams me into the wall, you know. Shut up. Just keep your eyes on me. What do, you know, Steve, you've got a flock. And you watch the flock that I've given you. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Okay, Lord, I'm sorry. You're right. I've got to get my eyes back on you and off of what other people are doing. Some of the ladies in here, I hear this over and over. You guys are so, uh, it's so difficult for you because you are constantly comparing yourselves to each other. She's prettier than me, and, and she's homeschooling, and I'm not, and I'm not worthy. We can easily begin to compare ourselves and become discouraged. And, well, what about them? What, look at what you're doing with them. Look what you're doing over here. And Jesus would say to you, 
what, what is that to you, what I'm doing with that person? Why are you concerned what ministry they have or how I'm using them? The question is, how, are you letting me use you? Are you following and taking hold of all that I've laid hold of you for? I got enough concern with the guy I see in the mirror every morning. I got enough problems with him rather than trying to solve other people's problems or worrying about what God is doing somewhere else. And I, Do you know what I'm saying? Don't compare yourself. Just keep your eyes on the Lord. It'll, it'll save you. I mean, I'll save you doctor bills and medical bills just by keeping your eyes on the Lord. It'll lower your stress level. Your heart rate will go down. Your blood pressure will begin to ease down. Just keep your eyes on the Lord and do what He tells you to do and leave the rest to Him. Don't worry about what job they're getting or what income their bracket that they're in or any of that stuff. Just keep your eyes on it's, it's the simplest, cheapest advice I give you. Keep your eyes on the Lord and you follow Him. Your confidence level will shoot through the roof. You know, your self-confidence will go up. Not your confidence in yourself, but because you, you're following the Lord. You know that if I'm following the Lord, I'm safe. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Jesus Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? Hey, if I choose that John will, will remain till I come, that's okay. I'm sovereign. I can do that, right? So he didn't say he would. That's what G- John is trying to clear up. He didn't say John would live until he came. He just said, hey, if I want to do that, you know, what if I want to use Vince to do this thing or that? What if I want to use Vince for prison ministry? What's that to you? I want you to use me for that, Lord. I'm jealous. I'm envying. I want that ministry. I want to be popular like that. I want to have this many people. I want to stop it. Get your eyes on the Lord and rejoice in what... Look, the fact that God would even think to use us is incredible. Why did God choose Abraham? I don't know. Why did God choose Peter for what he chose Peter for? Don't know. That's his choice. It's not ours to figure it out. The question is, what has God chosen you for? And are you doing it? This, the, this is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. Amen. We have completed uh, John's gospel, the, not just the book itself, but the appendix as well, chapter 21. I'm going to invite the praise team up, and uh, the lights will come down, and the communion is going to be passed out. As you receive the communion elements, just hold on to them. We'll, uh, we'll all partake together. After we uh, partake of the communion, and I know people are, are shuffling around, and, and all of you ADH people are watching them go like I am. But after we share communion, what you'll hear is you'll hear cups breaking. And, and for many people, that's a really surprising and confusing thing. Uh, it's a habit we developed because uh, it symbolizes that the power of sin is broken in our lives. So after the communion, uh, now, now, not while there's still grape juice in your cup, right? Drink it first, <laughs> then break it. Uh, look, the power of sin is broken. You have a God, the spirit of the living God is the Holy Spirit. Holy means different. And it's that spirit that comes into your life. What, if, I, if, if into your life comes the lying spirit, what would that produce in you? 
lying, right? If into your life comes the, the mathematical mind spirit, what would that produce in you? A mathematical mind. Wow, all of a sudden I'm changed. I'm, all of a sudden I get math now, which for me would be a real miracle. <laughs> Whatever spirit is in you is what produces what we see as your life. So God puts in us his Holy Spirit. And what should that produce in us? Say it. Holiness. That's what, now what is holiness? Holiness is not perfection. Holiness is separation. Holiness means I'm, I'm separated from all the things that are part of this world. I don't have to be part of those things anymore. I'm separated not just from, I'm separated to my life now is not for the things of the world. My life is for the living God. And as I live that life, this holiness that, that, that is part of my life, as I'm dedicated to Him, that changes the things I do, right? I now do things that are in conjunction with His nature. And it's something that He produces. You can't fake it. If you're a fruit tree, you, you, you either produce fruit or you don't. You can't hang false fruit on your branches and expect it to stay. That plastic, you ever get like tricked by that plastic fruit someone had on the table? Like it looks so real, but then you go up to it and it's like plastic. Like that, that won't feed me or anybody else. It's fake. It just hangs on the branches and can't do anything with it. You guys watch the news as much as, uh, probably more than I do. You see what's going on. I mean, you see the potential that's out there. You see, we see, we're in a season of, of disease around the world. Scary. Real. Predicted in God's word. And we see, wow, the reality of what the book of Revelation says, well, that could really happen. We were in Philadelphia this weekend, just walking around the, went up for a, a concert and uh, walking around the city as realizing, like the close contact, how fast a disease like Ebola would take down a city and cities after cities in an instant. I mean, in days. So we know these things exist. And all of a sudden, there's certain things that just aren't important anymore when you're in that place. And just as Jesus invited the disciples to come and eat, he's inviting you to come and eat. Not casually or without considering. The meal is not fish. The meal is his body, his life that he's offered for you. And he's inviting you very practically and, and, and very tangibly to be part of his life. To receive him to yourself. To be joined to him, to be married to Christ in some ways. And it's an invitation that's on the table for you to accept or reject. Now many in here have accepted it. But many are still going, I know he loves me, but... It's that question of, that he asked, do you love me? Are you willing to love me? Are you willing to learn what that means? I love my wife. I fall short as a husband. Doesn't mean I don't love her. 
Love is that choosing, choosing the object of affection, right? When we love, we choose to show kindness, to show and to be uh, loving towards someone. That's a choice. And God chose you. God chose you. He chose to pour his love out, thinking of you, his affection toward you. I am choosing to love you. While you were still a sinner, God loved you. Now the question is, will you reciprocate? Will you enter into that relationship with him? We're going to sing a couple of songs and then we'll partake of communion together.